HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, yuzakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my co-guests. And last week, we had Elizabeth Ando, who teaches the sense of traditional Japanese cuisine to non-Japanese people in Japan. And this week, we have another passionate, inspiring American woman in the studio. Um, here we have Nancy Singleton Hachisu, who is a um, long-term resident of Japan and cook on an organic farm near Tokyo, and the author of uh, Japanese Farm Food, published in 2012, as well as Preserving Japanese Way, which just came out in August. Also, Nancy actively advocates preservation of uh, artisanal Japanese food production through TV and other media in Japan. Hello, Nancy. Welcome Hello, to the show. Hello, Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> so, um, I know that you are um, on a book tour. Yes, and we'll on the talk- end, thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> almost uh, ending tomorrow. <laughs> Two more days, yeah. Right. And uh, we'll talk about the book, um, new book in a moment. Mm, but mm-hmm. uh, the first, what brought you to Japan? Ah, well, I was um, in love with sushi. <laughs> but more than that, actually, I was changing my life, and I was going to go to graduate school. And so I thought, hmm, um, if I'm going to get a JD, I may as well put a language in there, too. And what have they been shouting about at that sushi place? So I decided I was going to learn Japanese. And, and get a master's in East Asian Studies along with the JD. Mm-hmm. Went to Japan for a year thinking I would learn Japanese in uh-huh. a year. But then I got snagged by a cute <laughs> Japanese farmer <laughs> <coughs> and never um, left. Right. Okay. So that was uh, after you graduated from Stanford. That was 1988. Yeah. But um, I Stanford was at 78. And oh, okay. then for about 
eight years, eight, nine years, I was um, living and working mm. in bars and restaurants in San Francisco. Oh, okay. So that was why I wanted to get a real life rather than that kind of life because right. it's a little bit too much fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very dramatic change. Yeah. Right. So, um, but how did you end up living in Japan permanently? Well, like I said, um, I met the guy mm-hmm. and I didn't have any plan or desire to marry a Japanese guy, but it just was what was going to happen.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, and so I stayed. Right. Well, it sounds like it's really romantic. He was、uh, your student? Or? Yeah, yeah, in English conversation class.、Um, in, the, in the day, I don't know what happens now because I have a preschool. And hopefully,、mm-hmm. this is, the teachers are not dating the people, <laughs> people in the school. But,、um, In the day, the teachers and the students became friends and often would socialize.、Mm. And so I had girlfriends in the class, and we all went out to yakitori and、mm. stuff after, after class and became friends. Great.、Mm-hmm. Okay. And、uh, so then you got married and then moved to a 90 year old Japanese farmhouse.、Um, that's not exactly right. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we got married and we built our, our, our house. It's like an A frame sort of.、Um, Modern Japanese style house, like a ski, pa- ski, ski cabin ish house、mm-hmm. that we would call. And,、um, and then 10 years later, we, refer- we renovated my parents in law's house. Oh, okay. And,、um, and we moved in with them,、mm-hmm. but in separate areas.、Right. So, in fact, when we renovated their house, we put, in, we put back in a lot、mm-hmm. of the old stuff they had taken out.、Mm-hmm. So, we put back old stuff. And then also modernized、mm. other stuff. Right. Like kitchen. Wow. Sounds beautiful. Yeah.、Right. Well, it's dusty, but still beautiful. <laughs> right. But,、uh, you know, just marrying into a family, traditional farm family,、mm. must be a little difficult. Well,、you. I think it's a lot easier for, <clears throat> for me than for a Japanese woman. And in fact,、um, in, in those days, it was 1988,、um, nobody really wanted to marry a farmer because. They imagined a very hard life,、mm-hmm. a very traditional life. But、um, I, as an American, was given a lot of leeway. Right. So、and、she c a n do that, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we sort of created our own path.、Mm-hmm. And my husband was a, a very good cook, and so I saw no reason in the beginning for me to take over my mother in law's kitchen because he had already been living at, with his parents for seven years after college,、mm-hmm. and he had already been. Like manning the kitchen. Because、okay. his mother was not a fabulous cook.、Mm. So, and by then she had sort of lost the whole heart of cooking because she'd h a been cooking you know, scores of years. Ah,、uh, okay. You know, you just get tired. Right. But, you know, because your <clears throat> husband was cooking, so that's how you got interested in Japanese cooking? Well, I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I've been cooking since I was a child.、Mm. So, I'm interested in all kinds of cooking. Okay. So, when I first went to Japan, I was madly trying to cook Japanese food from what I saw on TV, and then I got a few books、mm. and I invited friends over. But I f- soon realized, I mean, just on my own, not that anybody said anything, I thought, why am I cooking Japanese food for my Japanese friends when I've only been here for three or four months?、Mm. You know, but for, I can, and then I just turned it around and I started cooking Western food.、Mm. And、um, with three children, we were homeschooling and,、um, Having the fields and various the food was the fields were just for our food, but、mm. um, just quite busy enough. And so I did, you know, California style, Mexican and, and Indian and, and Italian, but my husband did the Japanese. And then, but just as the years go, went by,、mm. I mean, I just started doing it because 
had to fill the vacuum when he couldn't do it. Mm. But we eat all kinds of food. Okay. So uh, your husband was a sensei, basically. Or uh, Yeah, we never... Uh, nah, we didn't actually cook together so much because we had small children. Ah, okay. So, but... When you're living in a country and you're a cook, mm. so you absorb it. Right. And so when I was writing Japanese farm food, I was like, okay, how do you make nikujaga? Mm. And, you know, and he'd say, oh, put a little this in, like, like that, like, like that. And then I would recreate it. And mm. since I've been cooking all of my life, I could recreate it um, on the first try pretty much. Mm. You know, <clears throat> So that's how. It, Great. So life was my sensei. Mm. Well, this is interesting. Rather than going to a culinary school, mm. right? it's more like uh, the wheel home mm-hmm. cooking. Right? And eventually you learned a lot, um, not just uh, how to cook Japanese food, but uh, grew to be very respectful to its tradition. Mm, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. And now you seem to be uh, um, a little worried about uh, you know future of Japanese cuisine. Mm. Well, I mean, it's not really talked about it too much, but... Um, the, there is a big shift towards um, convenience store foods, convenience foods, mm-hmm. um, including convenience store foods, mm. where you can get full-on meals. Right. Um, it's a great boon for the older people because they can get oh, a, a balanced meal that maybe it's got MSG and preservatives, it, preservatives in it, but at least it's well-balanced. It's not like mm. getting a hamburger at McDonald's. But um, I think the people are sort of losing confidence about cooking, mm. and the good foodstuffs are harder and harder to find. Mm. And so, like people in Tokyo, on their way home, they're not going to be able to find, for instance, or there's not a lot of organics either. So mm. you can't just on your way home find organic tofu, right. miso, soy sauce. And so what they shelve at the, at the supermarket is what they shelve at a lot of supermarkets here is not very great quality mm. stuff but certainly if they try if somebody tries someone tries hard they can find good ingredients we're lucky because in our town we have an organic soy sauce miso tofu natto mm. pickling place right by the way you, where you live is uh, not far away from tokyo right. but it's uh, quite a countryside farms and traditional mm-hmm. yeah it's 50 minutes on the bullet train but a couple hours on the mm. on the regular train that's mm. uh, mm. semi rural japan doesn't really have a lot of zoning so We've got a car wash down the street, and mm. I mean, Seven Eleven here and there, and dry cleaning shop, and right. people's businesses are often on top of their house, mm. you know. So, um, their fields. But it sounds like, you know, you are surrounded by all those classic traditional producers of great food. We're very lucky that right. our area also is a. Um, is an organic area. Mm, okay. um, we have th- one of the most well respected and long term, longest term um, organic farmers in in the Kanto area. Mm. Um, he, uh, he's been, his family's been doing it for over, over mm. 50 years, maybe close to 60 years. Okay. The Suka family. Right. And they did, they do natural farming, which is called Shizen Noho, mm. as you know, in Japanese. And they don't just farm organically. They don't put animal products in the field. Mm, okay. So it's, um, a really special type mm. of farming and we're very lucky to have them in our next town. Right. And my husband, grows things that way too. Mm. Well, you mentioned that there's not much organic food supply because there's no whole foods, I guess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but also, but still people are trying to be moving towards more organic, you think? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, like Japan always seems to be just a little bit off of what's happening in trends happening in America mm. or US, whatever. Um, there's certainly young people who are moving to local areas, mm. people concerned about, I mean, after Fukushima, there was a lot of people that 
moved out of that area mm. and moved to rural areas. Um, we live near these small little um, mountains, and so mm. having mountains close by, you get um, people looking for an alternative lifestyle. Mm. And so the, I make soy sauce with a group, um, and the people that organize it is this young couple mm. who are living up in this teeny little town. They've moved from a, from an urban area to mm. rural area. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's reviving. I think probably preserving, there's... There's less and less grandmothers doing the preserving because they're getting older, and probably the 50-, 60-year-old set is not really is too busy to still do it. And um, there's a revival, and I think that, you know, it might even be single men who might be more interested for some reason, for looking hobbies, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but definitely it's, it's on the rise. But also, Japan didn't have... a a lot of internet access and so hmm. yeah that's weird interesting <clears throat> and that's funny because, <laughs> but people didn't have regularly computers in their home they had a, an internet access cell phone before computers in the home right. you know but um and we had wi-fi was very slow to get, get to japan mm-hmm. in in the house but um yeah they're connected but not in the way we do it's more so, like a phone based yeah yeah say. exactly but um now because of the use of internet that even if the producer doesn't have internet access or a website, there's some way you can find these artisanal products. And that's、mm-hmm. what's really changed. So all of a sudden, Japan is like wide open for all of these cool、mm-hmm. local products. I、okay. mean, totally findable. Right. If you put effort in. And also, I think,、uh, well, last year in December,、mm-hmm. Japanese cuisine was named as、uh, the World Heritage. Right. So there's a movement by the government. Absolutely. The government wants to make sure we. They, I mean, I say we, but I'm not a Japanese citizen. I live there.、Um, live up to the title and keep it.、Mm. Totally. Yeah.、Right. So, okay. So, in other words, there's a, the crisis, but、uh, including you, there are people pushing、oh, yeah, yeah. the tradition towards staying、and、alive. The great thing about Japan is it's a small country, and it's a country that historically has been able to change really quickly、mm. on various points.、Mm. And so, those. Artisanal, you know, production that, that artisanal production is still in place.、Mm-hmm. We haven't lost it. So just shouting it from the rooftops is a way to keep it. And、mm-hmm. having people actually use these products, value these products, you know, not just pick up the cheapest one, but why is this one more expensive? Because it's, it's not because it's fancier,、mm-hmm. it's because it's been aged for two years. In cedar barrels, and oh, by the way, these are organic Japanese soybeans,、right. which make up 0.003% of the production in Japan.、Mm. You know, so very special. Right. Well, the, actually, I was reading your book,、uh, The Preserving the Japanese Way, which gonna, we're going to talk about in、mm-hmm. a moment. But、uh, in the book, you say craftsmen, farmers, fishermen, and local artisanal producers of traditional Japanese foods all contribute to the crucial fabric of Japan. Yeah. And they represent the heart of Japan and the deep pride that Japan, Japanese have. So, do you think that traditional Japanese workers have different mindset attitudes? Oh,、uh, absolutely. What、yeah. they do? Yeah.、Um, <clears throat> there's, it's so deeply ingrained to do a good job and a good job for, because they respect the job itself.、Mm. And Was mind blowing for me. One time I was thinking of a topic for a, a, a talk and I explored the idea of this. And I thought about, oh my God, what about those people that clean the trains?、Mm. Even the people that clean the trains, this is what you would say is a menial job, maybe, but they 
do it with such pride and they do it so well mm-hmm. and they're wearing these jaunty caps right. you know and so the job itself is so well valued mm-hmm. now how that will continue is a question because of the education system mm-hmm. and because of the lack of um, I think the younger people are not as inclined to become an apprentice, for instance. Mm. Um, I was happy that my 20-year-old just decided to become an apprentice for a, our soba master. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a five, six-year commitment. means working six days a week from mm. you know, 12, 13, 14-hour days. It's a big commitment. It is. But you become a master at something. Now, how mm. amazing is that? Right. And that the longevity of it, the time you put in, mm. that's something that we tried to teach, teach our children through right. homeschooling and through what they did. But right. what that reminds me of, I mean, when I grew up, I went to Japanese elementary school, mm. and uh, everybody was in charge of cleaning the classroom after uh, the yeah. class. And uh, something like you know, when you fly out of Japan, you mm. see uh, all the mechanics bow to you for <gasps> safety and that makes me cry almost every time so I think that's I've forgotten that I don't look out the window very much <laughs> you're right though that's true yeah yes. there's a deep respect for the job and I and I that's something that's very moving mm, right okay and uh, I think there's another quote from the book and your husband said Japanese believe there's a soul in every object every part of life and they don't even think about it it's in their DNA so it is impossible not to do a good job Mm, it would mm-hmm. be disrespectful to the soul of Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you agree? Yes, absolutely, yeah. And that's why th- simple things, like, for instance, fish sauce, Japanese fish sauce, which is totally not available here, mm. it's just so good because it's so well made and because the respect started from the fishermen mm. taking the fish from the sea. Right. And how they fish is... You know, it's got that long tradition of knowing that the fish needs to stay fresh. Mm, right. It's almost the passing of life from the fisherman to the other person to the table, like it responsibility. Mm, everything along the way is crucial. Right. Yeah. Mm. So is that another reason that you collect your antique cookware to preserve uh, <laughs> <laughs> Also because if something, you pass by something then, and it's $10 and it's 50, 60, 70 years old, bowl or basket or box mm. how can you not buy it right. ten dollars you know right so it's a flea market so yeah right. cool. yes all right and uh maybe could, could you give us an example of uh, japanese artisanal products i mean the food could be or maybe <clears throat> cookware well for cookware i always say the thing you the the most useful tool in in my kitchen is the sudibachi mm. it's a grooved Bowl. It's a grinding bowl, but you could use it, and we use it for grinding, mostly for grinding sesame or um, sometimes walnuts for kurumiae and grinding tofu. But I also use it for like French food for brandad or mm. for, for making chilorio for um, burritos, mm. um, so for pounding meat or fish. Mm. Um, so it's useful for all cuisines. Nice. Um, but the key is to get a big one. And you can buy them in, in New York at Corinne. Um, yeah, Corinne in Tribeca. Yes. Like and, a nice company. And, uh, right. Tribeca. And they have them online. But I, I buy mine, um, I buy antique ones because mm. they're bigger and they um, don't seem to be a popular item for people to, re- to rebuy. Oh, okay. 
Right. Like, but you, once you own it, you really find it useful and oh, stable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, that piece is, is almost extinct in the Japanese kitchen. You think so? I know so. Oh, that's yeah. so sad. Yeah. In fact, Japanese, some, I went to a home center and I wanted to get another one of the pestles. Mm. It's called a sudikogi, as you know. Mm. And the 30-year-old woman who I asked did not even know what that word meant. Oh, wow. And I went around to various home centers who couldn't find them, and I had to go to the traditional Japanese hardware store to get one. Oh, and no. basically everybody who I talked to, because I ask questions a lot, and they say, oh, yeah, I don't use that anymore. These grinder or mixer, you know, those mm. kind of things. There's more. But it's... Sad. Right. Well, I like the feeling when I grate uh, the sesame seeds. You smell Grind it, them. and yeah, 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 it's really um, you know some uh, vibration. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Something. It's very tactile. But um, there's some very simple Japanese ingredients, and, and 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 like the bowls that are the the food culture drastically changed after the war mm. because these heavy bowls, these heavy pots. They were just too heavy. Right. People were looking for a light feeling, mm. um, a light feeling in their life in many ways, and just physically and also just mentally, I think. Right. And food-wise, too, um, the, the country was depressed, and so um, to feed the country or to keep them in soy sauce, mm. big soy sauce producers or big vinegar makers, they started making very cheap, right. quick products mm-hmm. to get the product out there. Right. Um, it's a way, it was just a way of life, and mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, mm. it's just how it happened. Right. But well, this sounds like it's a parallel from, uh, with what's happening here because mm-hmm. you know everybody's looking back, and then oh, whole food system is destroyed. So everybody goes to now goes to the uh, green market, and yeah, sustainable. So sounds like uh, the same things happening in Japan yes. too. And in Tokyo, they there was a fle- uh, 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 farmers market. Um, and recently, it's there is a farmer's market, and it's recently become um, excellent. Mm. In the beginning, it was not so good. Mm. Yeah. Like here, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in New York City, green market. Right. Um, so let's talk about your books, because I think your philosophy is summarized in the books. Mm-hmm. So first, why did you write the first book, uh, Japanese Farm Food, that mm. was published in 2012? And according to the book review on Amazon, it's, uh, it's not just a book about Japanese food. It's about love, life on the farm, and the community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, why I wrote the book was because um, David Leibovitz told me I should. <laughs> but no, um, I had never seen a book like that, the food that we ate. And um, most of the Japanese cookbooks that I had seen were more um, what I call town food, more mm-hmm. stylized food. Mm-hmm. More We just would never ate that food ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, I'd seen it in restaurants, but it was restaurant food for me, the stuff in the books. And it was also female cooking. Mm. And I guess I'm much more uh, attracted to male cooking. Mm. Um, so my husband um, doesn't use sugar, which was the how Japanese food, I mean, post-war, there's a lot more sugar happening mm. in the food. But in town food, he uses more sugar because the vegetables don't taste good. So you got to add ah. something, you know. But our food came from the fields and so it was all about the vegetables mm. and the, the products and we always used good soy sauce and good vinegar and mm. um, and um, and then there was my friend Kanchan who was a soba restaurant and mm. some of the dishes were from him and then uh, so basically that's 
what it was all about, just the food we ate. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say, hey, here it is. And here is the country, Mm. how I know it. Like the people I know, they're direct. They're Mm. easily approachable. Mm. They're not a big mystery. The food is not a big mystery, but this is how we eat. So Mm. if somebody says it's not authentic, (laughs) they don't know because, in fact, that's how we eat and Mm. we are a Japanese family. So, I mean, there's different paradigms in Japanese food. So a lot of the books are out there. They're they're, it's not that they're not authentic; they're just different, mm-hmm. you know. Right, and it's the that, you know, the love and life from the farm part. That's you know, uh, from the products from uh, the soil, but mm. and the community uh, is that something you s- help each other uh, with other farmers or how? Yeah, the community. So you know, the community parent was that you had people on your street, the Han, mm-hmm. and you did community activities together, whether mm-hmm. they were matsuri festivals or deaths mm-hmm. or weddings. Right. But as people stopped being farmers, they stopped being available mm-hmm. to, they couldn't just stop their company job to help out on these things. So the this small community group mm-hmm. has sort of gone by the wayside by the, for the most part, but our community invol- is not our immediate neighbors, but like the Soy sauce people. The, mm. My my friend who um, who grows things for our miso and soy sauce group, but also has a little mayonnaise factory. And mm. I, my husband used to supply him with eggs. And our farming friend. And so we're all. Mm. And uh, my guy, my friend, who's a, a foreign group f- couple who have a natural food mm. company. And so it's that sort of community. Right. It's more in between. Rather than just having two apartments together and then meet each mm. other, it's more kind of deeply yeah and it's sort of supportive and mutually supportive Mm, right and uh, so what is Japanese farm food what is the difference from regular Japanese food I mean you said it's not stylized but yeah well uh, just what I said I mean you go to the field you you pick a bunch of mm -hmm. greens or broccoli or or whatever and then you're just going to make a big Mm. dish Nice. Like goma, you do the mm. sesame treatment, or you're going to saute it with miso and mm. uh, saute it with only oil, and then add miso at the end, right. you know, or so, or, uh, or soy sauce, or right. it's so, just going to be very simple. Right, but it sounds like uh, you know, if you go to the supermarket, you choose, but uh, in the farm life, you are chosen by the the produce in a way. Right, that exactly. So whatever is ready is what you're be eating, and even if we buy vegetables. Um, our friends, we do buy vegetables from our um, our local friends, and they have a little table at the at the local J mm-hmm. Japan Agriculture Shop, and there's maybe a variety of five, if you're lucky, organic vegetables, and that's what I'm going to use. Mm. But it's actually very freeing because there's such a small group of choice, mm. so that you don't have to make the choice. Right. Okay. All right, so now let's take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Nancy's uh, latest book about Japanese pickling. So please stay with us.
Hi, this is Dave Arnold from Cooking Issues, and I'm here to talk to you about the Museum of Food and Drink, which is finally getting a brick-and-mortar space right here in Brooklyn, New York. So the Museum of Food and Drink is opening the MOFAD Lab, our first laboratory and gallery space, where we will be putting on an exhibition called Making It or Faking It, the history of the flavor industry. It tackles a very important uh, topic, which is how the food system got to be the way it is now uh, as a result of the intervention of the flavor industry, how that happened. Get your tickets at tickets.mofad.org to come see the first exhibit ever of the Museum. Museum of Food and Drink at the MoFad Lab, brought to you by Infinity on 62 Bayard Street. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Nancy Singleton Hachisu, who is a longtime resident of Japan, cook, and author of two books. Japan, uh, Japanese farm food and the preserving the Japanese way, which just came out in August. So, tell us about the new book, preserving uh, the Japanese way, and it's uh, how important is preserving in Japan? First of all, <laughs> <laughs> preserving is um, well, it's a thousand-year-old tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the modern methods, sort of, um, were developed in Edo period mm-hmm. uh, last. Like was it three hundred years ago or so, mm-hmm. three or four hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, preserving. It's there's pickling and preserving, and pickling is typically not a, pick, a pickle that like we think of as Western pickles. Mm. Pickles are not vinegar based. Right. Okay. Yeah, they're salt mm. based. Salt includes miso or soy sauce mm. um, and uh, fish sauce, um, and so. Salt-based pickles, mm. you know, they leach out liquid, and so mm. they're not something that's going to be holding for a long time. Okay, they're quick pickles, mm-hmm. and then and and they typically use some sort of artisanal product like salt or preserved product like soy sauce, miso, mm. um, um, uh, fish sauce. Also, sake leaves mm. are, are used for for yeah. um, right. sake leaves are interesting, mm, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's at the it converts the texture, like break it down, and then add some of mummy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and recently, koji, the mm. um, the spore um, rice koji, has become a popular mm. um, little method for doing. We would make a concoction called shio koji, salt koji, or soy sauce mm. koji. Um, it's developed by this woman in Oita, mm-hmm. um, Oita Prefecture. Um, very yeah. easy to make. Right. And that shiokoji became uh, such a big boom. Everybody mm. bought it, then the stores all sold out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Now the boom is over. Actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they come and go quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, still available. But um, yeah, koji's been around, but it was not, mm. it was around in a sort of not very great form. It was a cake form that mm. I, my husband used it for making dobudoku, uh, like a homemade. Mm. It's not sake, it's a homemade sake drink you know mm-hmm. um or some sort of preserving of fish mm. um but now we can get good rice koji because of the the koji boom okay. the, rice, the uh, shio koji boom interesting mm-hmm. then then there's so that's those are pickles mm. and the beauty of that is that they're really easy to make so 10 15 20 30 minutes mm. and you can eat them mm. um 
and they will they'll involve various aromatics and or like ginger or hot pepper or they could be um, using some um, you could use umeboshi mm. the salted pickled plums so you're using fermented products to make a quick pickle mm. or katsuobushi right you know um, and that's kind of a beautiful idea I think for, because it's it's done quickly and you can eat it right away right. and then there's the preservation hozon shoku mm. and that's for keeping and okay. generally done in the winter mm. um, and some of the you know the, the quintessential too in the winter is the takwan mm-hmm. the half drive daikon pickle right. in in rice bran and then also um, the haksai uh, napa cabbage mm. salted napa cabbage very similar to the sauerkraut method, mm. but just a different flavor profile, mm. um, and those are uh, those were in, going to be the hardest pickle I put in the book, along with the umeboshi, the mm. summer one. But then I just got sucked into the rabbit hole and found more <laughs> and more and more and more interesting methods that I thought. I mean, they're not available in English, so I thought, okay, I'll put them in the book mm. and <laughs> as methods. And so all those crazy preserver. Preserving people are yeah. out there, culturing people, you know, go at it right. and give it a try. Yeah. Does it include, I think uh, I read an article about uh, this book and then there's salt pickled chopped fish that takes three years to be ready to be eaten. <laughs> Is that in the book? Oh, yeah. A fish sauce. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so do you have an example and a quick version to motivate uh, listeners to buy the book? Maybe. A uh, quick version? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, like I said, I think those all the quick pickles. But what I think is very special about this book is that for me, Japanese farm food. Okay, that was the food we ate. Those that was our community. I wanted to introduce mm-hmm. what the Japan that I knew, the direct, real, honest Japan. Okay, mm-hmm. then this book, I wanted to really focus on the producers because mm-hmm. because of them, the guy that the guys that make salt or the the, the pe- mm, there's women making salt too, but. Seems to be men a lot, mm. um, but the people that make salt, and, and why is it so special, and what is it they're doing, and you know these are all small producers that are probably not making a lot of money. I'm going to say, you mm. know, the miso producers, the the soy sauce, fish sauce. I mean, all the producers. We should be so thankful mm. that they're keeping at it, right? Because they're craftsmen. They're not mm. doing it for making money, right? And a lot of them, um, along the way, there's been I've noticed a trend of. The, se- the son goes to Tokyo for college, mm. university, then comes back, or the daughter, and comes back after about 10 years mm. to the father's company and takes over. And so, so you have to really laud them for, applaud them for, you know, coming back mm. and taking over this artisanal production. Right. Because um, without it, we wouldn't be able to have, we wouldn't be able to have, so... Why are these little quick pickles, why are they so delicious? Because you have excellent vegetables, mm. farm organic vegetables, mm. and then this incredible soy sauce or incredible miso. Then, of course, it's going to be fabulous together, right? right. And so with a, just uh, any old miso or any old soy sauce and any old supermarket vegetable, mm. it's not going to be elevated very far. Right. Okay. So that was important for me, the mm. producers. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, basically... There's great ingredients and everything, and you can actually support those artisanal producers by buying things at the higher premium price. But what what do you think is a 
meaningful to preserve things by yourself? It takes time and effort. So. Oh, well, I think it's also about yourself. Like, it's the challenge. Mm. And it's actually doesn't take that much time and effort because these are methods by people who are busy people like farmers are busy people or fishermen are busy people Mm. and so it's not a big elaborate production but it just takes time Mm. and good fish or good salt or good soybeans miso for instance is i mean it's really easy to make Mm. on a small basis Right. Well, actually, it used to be that every single new wife had to have a recipe of her own miso. Every uh. single family. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a famous thing. And then, yeah, you're right. It should be quick and easy once you know how to do it. Well, you know, even miso, you know, I mistreated my miso so badly this summer. I was quite busy. I think I stirred it three times maximum, and it still is delicious. Mm. You're supposed to stir... Once, starting in May, once a month, and then every two weeks, and then once a week. And out of the summer, you're going to be stirring it ten times and or more. And my poor little miso, two, three times max. That sounds like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <You're gonna> <laughs> Neglected, <laughs> but, but still delicious. <laughs> right. Okay. And, uh, and But also I wanted to say that the book is not just about pickling and preserving. Mm-hmm. It's also mm-hmm. about how do you use miso. Or okay. how do you use... There's... there's Recipes for using the the product mm, too, right? And there's an extensive, detailed, precise explanation of each each product. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I was impressed. How I was did you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, by the way, you studied to be on the media by word of mouth reputation a while ago, and uh, currently you travel around Japan and visit local artisanal producers mm-hmm. uh, for a weekly TV program. Mm-hmm. So what kind of people do you feature? Well, like I said, the people that are doing a really good job, like there's a soy sauce guy in Anshodoshima who's, um, who's making his soy sauce still in the, the barrels. Mm-hmm. Our soy sauce producer, of course, is using the cedar barrels. But this guy, not only is he still using his, you know, the, his family's barrels, but he started to make, mm. with, his, with his local carpenters, he started a whole project to make ah. these large they're actually called buckets in Japanese but these mm-hmm. large barrel cedar barrels right it's much bigger than a human being right oh yeah and- yeah 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 and and there's only one producer in Japan who's making them mm. in all of Japan oh, wow. and they're about to stop being able to make them because they have nobody to take over their company mm. and so this one soy sauce maker um, it's uh, Yamaroku soy sauce mm. in on Shodoshima he's Re- he's reviving the the making of barrels, oh, wow. and so he's got two things going now. It's fairly impressive. So that mm-hmm. kind of thing, or um, yeah. I've, but by the way, so the what's the difference when it comes to the taste of the soy? Which it's um, made in wooden barrels. Do you have any? It's uh, more round. It's more deep. Mm. It's not just the barrel, though. It's also the the, the koji that the the koji that the how the koji has been cultured on the soybeans and and barley. Mm. So the culturing of koji itself is a whole art. Mm. Also, and 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 the 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 natural enzymes and spores that are hanging around in the area that's 
where the the soy right. sauce has been made. Mm-hmm. They're not yeasts, but they're they're like wild yeasts, okay. you know. So it's the whole and the beans themselves. There's just so mm-hmm. much going on. Oh, it sounds like uh, old brewery or something. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I, right. So activity within the the wood. But I mean, it's like I make miso with my friends, and and also from the from rice koji from um, Yamaki, the, the our local organic mm-hmm. soy sauce place, and they're totally different tastes mm-hmm. because you can taste the years that have gone into the developing of this koji strain. Ah. It's pretty amazing, and I'm I mean I. They're, they're fermenting side by side. Interesting. Very sweet, very dark. Mm. Okay. And uh, and then that, that was a really interesting. And I, <laughs> I watched actually the program, and then that soy is so deep and rich that you can put it on ice cream. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And But how do you find those uh, interesting producers? Uh, yeah, it's through word of mouth or mm-hmm. from research or you know basically like that mm, okay and uh there should be plenty but they're still hidden and they need uh, some sort of promotion absolutely being known and they absolutely. purchase yes right yes okay right. it's and, my mission mm, and also you um you have a part of the project japan brand project by mm-hmm. the japanese government mm-hmm. to promote those uh producers too mm-hmm. so what is that well, it's not the, by the government, but they're supporting it. Mm-hmm. This our particular project is getting better ingredients to um, foreign countries. Mm. Right now, first it's the United States. Okay. Getting good rice vine- uh, organic rice vinegar, good so- soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And it's the same soy sauce that Nama show you that's been sold by Osawa. It's our local soy sauce. Mm-hmm. But now the company will be also also exporting directly, mm-hmm. and they're misos. Okay. And this delicious ponzu that mm-hmm. was made for the project at my behest. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like the third part of this. It's the soy sauce people and the organic vinegar people. And then I just give advice mm-hmm. and promotional um, and put my name on it, whatever that mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's great because the Japanese market is kind of, it's not totally saturated for that kind of premium product, but it's better considering how Japanese food is popular here. It's better for yeah, the, it's the small farmers. There's not that many great ingredients I'm going to say here. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. I bring my own. Mm. Oh, speaking of, uh, I learned that you make your own soy, soy sauce, mm-hmm. and then you have uh, different vintages. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, because different years you're pressing it. Mm. Right. Well, I don't think many Japanese people, I haven't seen somebody bottling by the vintage in Japan either. <laughs> well, I mean, you press it in a certain year. Mm-hmm. And so then in that case, it is a, a vintage, right. you know. Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, right now, your husband, both of you farm on the... I haven't done anything on the field since I was writing Japanese farm food. I have no time. Okay. Um, and we... My, we've never sold vegetables. It's mm-hmm. only just for the f- food for the family. Mm-hmm. But so, but my husband, his free-range egg business was destroyed by the freak snowstorms last year. Oh. So actually, for the first time, he is selling what he's growing. He's growing wheat and soybeans for mm. the uh, organic soy, plus, soy sauce company. Right. So now he is an official. Okay. <laughs> but a farmer is just, um, they have a farming lifestyle, mm. growing lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. Right. And... Uh, What's your next plan? Next plan, I'm writing a book for Fiden, um, Japan, the cookbook. And that'll be out in um, 
the spring of 2018. Okay. And tonight and tomorrow, dinner at Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, on Sunday. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, so you're going to cook uh, something? Uh, Ken's cooking, but I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. I brought a, a bunch of stuff okay. to use. Yeah. Right. So, so all the artisanal ingredients mm-hmm. are there waiting, Okay. being so, cooked as we speak. Yeah, so the listeners who wanted to be, then try your food. And basically, yeah. the Dumawa and the Sons in Brooklyn? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, so, um, thank you for joining us today, Nancy. Thank you, Akiko. Yeah. And I was glad you, to come. Yeah, well, so please come back. Okay. <laughs> with your, of course, with your, the next book, the third oh, book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But before 2018. Please. Yes. So, um, if you'd like to know more about uh, Nancy's books and activities, please visit nancysingletonhachisu.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit that page. And Japan News is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher Podcasts. Today's show was made possible by Santori, and our engineer is Liz Smith. I will see you next week. program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 